Priestess of the Lost Colony, Chapter 1. Itawara moved her final pawn off the last square on a senate board. She straightened on her stool and crossed her arms with a triumphant smirk, victory assured in the game of passing. By all the gods, not again. Beck slammed his hands on the ebony table, which knocked his two remaining pawns off the game board. There must be some mistake. Itawara left, laughed. What mistake? That you've been losing the past few times? I keep telling you, brother, you take these games much too seriously. You act as if the fate of all Parapahu depended on it. Beck narrowed his eyes as his lips curled into a snarl. I might not be wrong, then. If I am to govern this colony, I must hone my strategic skills. How can I do that when I keep losing to a, a priestess? Itawara didn't take one grain of offense. If anything, his righteous anger amused her even more. Remember what Father says. You do not need to succeed to learn. Beck opened his mouth for another retort but stopped, stood from his stool behind the table, and took a deep breath. His mahogany-skinned brow sparked with sweat from the afternoon sunlight that descended on a back courtyard. He stormed across the courtyard to an alabaster bench beneath one of the olive trees and plopped down to sulk in its shade. As entertaining as her brother's tantrums were at the end of every senate game, any pleasure Ida Warrett felt evaporated when she saw him wipe a tear off his cheek. Not since they were children had she seen Beck show such emotion unless he thought nobody was looking. So, um, that was an excerpt from an upcoming guest, Brandon Pilcher, that we're going to be having on today. We're really happy to be having on from his book, Priestess of the Lost Colony, which was just recently published by Open Books Press. Um, so, anyways, welcome to the Front Page Pass, brought to you by Word Journeys. Um, this is your host, Bob Yelling and Alexa Black. So, anyways, tell us a little bit, elaborate on Brandon and... Um, what all he's um, accomplished? And yeah, Brandon. He's got going on Brandon right actually is the source of one of the warmest uh, experiences and, and stories of my own uh, editing career. Mm-hmm. Um, I met I met Brandon two and a half years ago through a through a mutual acquaintance, and Brandon is on the autistic spectrum. He's mm-hmm. he's on the spectrum. He's autistic. He's highly uh, he's highly developed specifically with verbal skills and mm-hmm. and. Uh, drawing skills absolutely i mean he's he's both an author and an illustrator and he's fa- he's fabulous at it's both very impressive. and um in the last two and a half years you know he came to us with uh, or he came to me with a chapter and an idea and no idea and no idea how to write a book mm-hmm. and um and just through you know a lot of tough uh you know a lot of hard work and learning and and him opening up to the process he ended up creating this fabulous story mm-hmm. that set 3,600 years ago um, that, I mean, you feel like you're there the Such whole time. Such immersed world building, too, yeah. that went into it. It's, just, it's very fascinating. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, so really, <laughs> beside, you know, so I'm always happy when any author um, gets their book published because I, mm-hmm. I, you know, and as you know, as an author, it takes a tremendous amount of work to even write a book. Mm-hmm. Um, but this is a little bit this has a little bit of an extra special touch to it because of the personal challenges Brandon's overcome in his exactly. life. And also, um, I mean, also just the fact that it's harder than hell to get published as a first time mm-hmm. author and he pulled it off. He absolutely so, did. So, <laughs> uh, uh, you know, so we'll talk to, we'll be talking to Brandon in just a minute, but, um, yeah, it's just a very special, it's a, it's a really special mm-hmm. thing to be able to, um, you know, to bring him on the show and also just to know that he pulled this off, mm-hmm. which is a ma- magnificent accomplishment yes, for him. Yes, it is. It really is. And yeah. just to see how he's evolved over time is, uh, is yeah. a Yeah, and I mean, he's, he's, he's published short story collections. Mm-hmm. He's, he's, he's drawn and sold quite a bit of artwork. Mm-hmm. 
he I mean he drew the he drew his own book cover you yeah know? yeah exactly and you don't often get that no with the, you know with someone no. who writes as compelling as he does and no then... so this is a fascinating interview because he's a young guy he's mm-hmm. in his by my standards anyways he's a young guy he's in his early 30s and he's um he's you know he just he's on his way mm-hmm. he's got another book going on and yeah, and so. he had to overcome, you know, more challenges than than most. You yeah. know, like you said, and also being in the, this industry, it's it can be pretty, you know, right serious. So. Right. So we'll hear from Brandon mm-hmm. in, in just a minute. Um, but yeah, I was, uh, you know, and, and then be, you know, it's been a couple of weeks since we've been together on with yes um, because we. Bob has been on a road trip, and I'm a little envious. Yes, I went on a road trip, and it was an interesting road trip. I mean, (laughs) a lot of things happened. You know, we're meeting for clients for word journeys and different authors and Mm -hmm. talking to to different people in the literary world. And the biggest takeaway I got from this trip from writing-wise is um, we're getting ready to open back up. Mm -hmm. In fact, some parts of society have... Most bookstores are open again now. Mm-hmm. They they have they, they might have some sort of limited, um, you know, capacity limit. Definitely, yeah, there limit, are limitations. Definitely limited events. You're mm-hmm. not still not seeing a lot of signings, but that's going to change, and it's going to change by the fall. Um, I suspect the fall is just going to be gangbusters. I know in the publishing world, acquisitions are up thirty percent over this point yeah, last year. Very true. People are spending money. Um, you know, of course, we readers have kept the industry alive by reading a ton of digital and otherwise ordering mm-hmm. online for the past year. But what I've noticed when it comes to both writers and readers is from now on, authors um, to be really good at marketing themselves are going to are going to need to be able to do stuff online as well as live. Mm-hmm. The advantage of going online is huge. Um, you know, it's a bit of a, you know, we, we've all had a year to get used to it. So if we haven't gotten exactly. accustomed to it yet, the advantages are quite simply that if you if you do a Zoom live uh, book signing, so where you read your read from your book, you, um, you you read from your book, you talk about it and then you and then you put up some ordering information to sell the book. Um, if you have there's a Zoom program where you can have 400 people up on your screen mm-hmm. at once. And there now, are many authors that have actually very, gone that route. Very, very rarely will you see a book signing with 400 people. Mm-hmm. Secondly, those people come from all over the world. Mm-hmm. Um, and so if they like your presentation, they buy your book, and then they have friends, there goes a big exactly. word of mouth thing. I mean, that's, that's the advantage um, of the Internet. So you know. the Internet may, gives you a world audience, whereas a local book signing gives mm-hmm. you the local audience. However, uh, one feeds the other. So, so and what's going to... I say say that the industry as a whole hasn't necessarily suffered. We were all kind of put in that sink or swim situation. And to be quite honest, I feel like for all of us as writers and readers, decided to swim, you know, so and make use of uh, having to do things solely online. So now that things are opening back up, you know, people have honed their craft at at building their audience, platform building and everything else online. And now you take it out on, you know, take it on the road. So, yeah. And I can tell you some tremendous events have come out, Uh have been created online as a result, just in, you know, in my home base, Southern California, Mm-hmm. There are two two great events have um, emerged from this uh, pandemic that are going to continue. Yeah. One is um, is Bookfest, which is in L.A. that that my old mm-hmm. uh, business associate Desiree Duffy produces, and that's turned into one of the best in two years. That's turned into one of the best online book festivals in the country. Exactly. <laughs> um, she had in the, in the most recent version, which was two weeks ago, she had no less than fifteen New York Times bestselling authors on there. So that's one that's going to stick around as an online event. The other one is the San Diego Writers Fest, mm-hmm. which is getting ready to happen. It happens the end of May. 
And, um, and again, they went online, they figured it out, and they just came up with this tremendous mm-hmm. program. Now, yeah. obviously, watching <laughs> a book fest online isn't the same as sitting at the LA Times mm-hmm. Festival of Books with 100,000 people and mm-hmm. all these panels and stuff. But again, it gives writers now have the best of both worlds. Mm-hmm. We can we have a full we have a full complement of online tools we can mm-hmm. use to market ourselves, um, and of course you know going live. Yeah, they completely and, adapted. And and for those of us that have been sitting in the cave or in our rooms or <laughs> locked in our apartments or whatever for the past yeah. year, it's time to get ready to get back out because people are going to be buying books like crazy mm-hmm. in the fall. And itching to go to these events and yeah, stuff. And, that we've been yeah, like, like, and we're going to be speaking at Digital Book World mm-hmm. again in September, so we're going to be getting back yeah, on the road. I mentioned that on our last podcast as well, that Word Journeys, you know, is going to be at quite a few events. And, right. You know, and also streaming from them. We plan to do that too and do some inter- interviews with some of the best names in the game. Right, right. So, so yeah, and so um, it's, going to be, it's going to be a really... Um, it's going to be a really busy summer that mm-hmm. leads to a monumental fall in, in books. I would say um, so. I'm certainly looking forward to it's, it. It's just really nice to see that the publishing world did a, it did it did fine during the pandemic. Mm-hmm. I mean, some small publishers went out of business. It, yes. Just like any other industry, there was attrition. Unfortunately, mm-hmm. there were some mergers and acquisitions. Um, but the bottom line is, uh, people kept buying books, and now acquisitions are back up mm-hmm. because everyone is pretty starting to feel like mm-hmm. society's going to fully open. Yeah, and it's pretty much just open the floodgates for people that are wanting yeah. to get home and everything. So, yeah. Yeah. It's um, advantageous there. Yeah. So, um, I suppose we should read our chart toppers that we do. We got it. Speaking of books coming out, yep. let's talk about the top books that are out. Mm-hmm. So, um, I will do combined print and ebook fiction. Okay. So, okay. Number one. Um, is Suley by John Grisham. Grisham? Grisham. Grisham. Mm-hmm. Apologize. Uh, Finding Ashley by Danielle Steele. Um, if you guys don't know who that is, look it up. I'm just kidding. Everybody knows who that is. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, A Gambling Man by um, David... Um, how do you pronounce that name? Baldacci. 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 Mm-hmm. Okay, I apologize. Uh, Fugitive Telemetry by Martha Wells. And The Hill We Climb by Amanda Gorman, which is a very excellent book, I must add. So, yes, it is. It is. And, Amanda, and Amanda's the mm-hmm. young lady who did the poem at the uh, Joe Biden's inaugural right. address in D.C. in January. Um, and, now, and I'll handle uh, print and uh, combined print and ebook nonfiction. Mm-hmm. What Happened to You is number one by Bruce Perry and Oprah Winfrey. The Bomber Mafia, which was Mac- Malcolm Gladwell's um, latest book, and You Are Your Best Thing, edited by Tarana Bruki and Brene Brown. So, so really, um, the number one and number three nonfiction bestsellers are all about self improvement, self care, mm-hmm. getting out of the pandemic. Mm-hmm. It's kind of yeah, interesting. and that genre really did shoot up during the oh yeah, pandemic I mean, as well. I mean, <laughs> I well, think I can't about what the stats were exactly. Yeah, well, think about were... it. A lot of people couldn't see their therapists. They mm-hmm. couldn't see their counselors. They didn't. They so they couldn't be with their friends. They had to turn to something. Self help, self help material and yeah. stuff like that. Self improvement. Um, and here's number four. Same idea. How you all doing? By um, <laughs> Leslie Jordan. And um, five, the body keeps the score by Bess- by Bessel van der Kolk, mm-hmm. and and um, and that 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 book is about how we internalize everything. Whether we internalize happiness, we internalize anger, yes. we internalize trauma, we internalize things that happen to us, good and bad, and our body keeps the score. So whether mm-hmm. it's you know some sort of a, a, you know some pre pre existing condition, uh, something you know. 
mental disorder, behavioral disorder, what exactly. have you. It, it all, it all, it all reflects from what we take into our body. Mm-hmm. And so that's, so four of the five books on the nonfiction top right. five are about uh, taking care of ourselves mm-hmm. as we emerge from the pandemic. Yeah, really introspective reads. Yeah. So. Um, and now coming up next, we will have our interview, our exclusive interview with uh, Brandon Pilcher, the author of Priestess of Lost Colony. And um, I'm really looking forward to I hearing what he has to say, because Brandon's a really interesting guy. And and like his uh, his father, Mark, we, we had a little celebration lunch mm-hmm. for him last week in Carlsbad, California, uh, to uh, to celebrate his writing of the book. Mm-hmm. And, and as, like his father said, you're not going to find many people that know more about the the um, near ancient history mm-hmm. of Greece and Egypt, meaning going back three to six thousand years. Yeah, his knowledge is vast. And so mm-hmm. I so and every time I talk to him, I know he has some other factoid or some other mm-hmm. some other story from that time period that's just. You just you know you know you think you've heard it and then you think you've yeah read it all yeah yeah but so it'll be really fascinating to see what stories Mm -hmm. he has for us this time but um most importantly just to hear him talk about his book yep absolutely so okay so we'll have we'll be back with brandon just a second Mm -hmm. (laughs) okay this week on on front page pass we're we're delighted to bring in um newly published author brandon pilcher and Brandon, for me, this is a really it's a it's a really personal mm-hmm. and just a really heartwarming situation because uh, Brandon Brandon came to me about two and a half years ago mm-hmm. and he had uh, part of a chapter and he had an idea for a book, but that's what he had mm-hmm. and and he wanted to write and he wanted to write a book and he um, he wanted to write a, a full book and he'd, he'd written some short stories and had a couple has a couple of self published collections on Amazon. Mm-hmm. Um, but he wanted to write a full book. And so we've spent the past, we've spent about a year, year and a half getting the book written. And then, um, you know, and then we went into producing it. And lo and behold, we found a publisher in Open Books Press out mm-hmm. of St. Louis. So this book is Priestess of the Lost Colony. And it came, it came out, um, it released two weeks ago in, in late April. And it's doing very well so far. Um, but we thought, you know, why are... You know, we we don't really need to tell the story of the book because we have the author right exactly. here. Exactly. So on that note, <laughs> welcome, flesh. welcome, Brandon, and thank you so much for joining us. Okay, thank you for the warm welcome. All right, and uh, we're really happy to have mm-hmm. you too. Um, yeah, and it's been great to just see his evolution as an author and him really blossom. I mean, yeah, know, yeah, and go, and go as far as he has. Well, yeah, first of all, so... I, I guess we got to ask you the first question: yeah. What do you like more, writing or illustrating? Mm-hmm. Since you also drew the cover. Well, I guess I draw more often. I guess that's a little easier for me. Writing is a more of a commitment. Uh, I guess, but I think writing is probably more, more, more of a. I don't know how to say it. I guess I just feel like I invest more of my writing than my drawing. So I draw more often, and my writing is a bit more work or harder work for me. I guess. So, so almost the writing is somewhat complementary to your drawing. I guess yes. you could say. Okay, that makes sense. So when you do have these characters in mind, I'm curious, Do you, uh, since you do say that you like to draw more so, um, do you draw them first and then the story comes to mind after the fact, or is it vice versa? Well, in the, I think in this, in, this, in, the, in this particular case of Priestess, mm-hmm. I think the character came to mind before the, uh, before the whole story did. Okay. 
Yes, so but just, sometimes it's the other way around okay. with so other kind projects. Of, it kind of just built off that, that particular character. That's interesting. Yes. So in Priestess of the Lost Colony, which is your new book, and it's a wonderful read, I mean, for for us fans of fiction and us fiction, you know, uh, writing critics even, mm. it has a really wonderful blend of historical fiction with an emphasis on, on ancient Egypt, but also Egyptian col colonies in other countries, mm -hmm. in this case, the ancient most Greece, but it has that historical fiction element. It's got a ton of adventure in it um, to where, I mean, your your plot twists and turns are magnificent. There's so many surprises mm -hmm. in there, but it also has magical realism where you actually bring in ancient Greek goddess and, and creatures to create that kind of magical realism, um, supernatural effect in your book. I guess my biggest question is, where did this idea come from? Well, it came from a couple of sources. Uh, the first were certain Greek legends the ancient Greeks themselves had mm -hmm. about Egyptians settling on their shores. Like there's a legend, for in instance, that a couple of Egyptian priestesses founded the Oracle of Didona, which is, in, I think, in northeastern Greece. Right. And, they, and there's another legend about, I don't know how to pronounce her name, but there's a group of women called Danaids who came to Greece who uh, were... Uh, Descended from Egyptian from an Egyptian king, so that that may, may I thought that would be a great scenario for an alternate history novel. Which is, I mean, this isn't really an actual event that happened. This is, of course, <laughs> alternate history. Like it's a what if scenario. Mm -hmm. Exactly. Okay, and then um, and and yet and yet with all the nice um, fiction fictional twists and turns that I mentioned and the different styles within this book. Deep down, it's it's a book about a young woman and her brother who uh, whose colony is sacked. Their their fellow colonists are taken, or their fellow residents are taken, and they're on a rescue mission to get to get their uh, you know to get their fellow citizens. And reclaim. Right, mm -hmm. and and but what I really like about your approach to this as you're as you're using an empowered young woman as your lead character. Could you, could you describe what, why you decided to do that? And also what you see in ancient women um, that is so compelling to you that you'd write a whole book about one? Well, to be honest, I, I just like writing about pretty ladies. I mean, I just, I like to draw pretty <laughs> ladies. I like to give them stories and that's pretty much it. That's pretty much it. Uh, and uh, I, I, Yes, but about ancient women in particular, I guess it's just the time period that interests me in general. I mean, it's just uh, ancient times. I've been a, that's been a thing ever since we learned about ancient Egypt in second grade when I was a kid. Okay. Yeah. Well, um, regarding that, uh, just to follow up on that, we could talk a little bit about um, Itawarit. So, um, exactly what is her mission, and how does she use her power and personality and wits to make things happen throughout this this book? I mean, well, it, it, to introduce for readers who haven't read the book, Itawarit is the protagonist of the novel. She's basically works as a high priestess of the goddess Mut in the in the colony, and uh, she's actually the eldest child of the guy who runs the colony, the great chief Mahu. Okay. And uh, her brother is actually the heir to the colony. And uh, you know where it is, repeat the question again. I. 
Oh, I said I, I was just kind of asking what is her mission throughout, and how does she use her um, personality and wit to kind of uh, make things well, happen throughout. Well, her mission is she's called upon by the goddess Mud to rescue her people after the the bad guy, the villain, and captures ca sacks their city and enslaves mm -hmm. them, and. She basically has the, this goddess guiding her, and she's able to persuade people into helping her. <laughs> and uh, it, that's, I mean, her power persuasion is probably, I'd say, her most compelling, one of her most mm -hmm. compelling bits about her. I would have to agree, definitely. Okay. And um, so when we, when we started working together, like I said, two and a half years ago, um, you, you know, what, what were some of the things that you learned in your own experience writing this book what are some of the things you learned about the book writing process that surprised you and what are some of the things you learned that are going to help you as you keep going forward on your next novel which is you're writing under the working title woman of the plains right now oh that novel oh uh, that novel is a different setting it's set in africa in eastern africa about a hundred thousand years ago it's it's not really magical realism like this current mm -hmm. book it's more of a prehistoric fiction sort of book more like historical fiction set in prehistoric times and it's uh um i guess what i think i learned is that it's good at is that it helped me a lot with writing priests to have an idea what was going on. Sometimes there are two strategies of writing. Basically, sometimes you just write as you go. Other times you uh, have a plan or an outline. And I found with priestess, I had an outline, but it was kind of a flexible one. And I found out that I had to add some things as I went along. Mm -hmm. Well, instead of just depending entirely on the outline. So I guess a flexible outline is what works for me best. Mm -hmm. As, a, as an author and illustrator, I'm just curious if, if there's anything that you do to get into the headspace of creating these worlds, because I know that's part of the best aspect of being um, into it, writing this genre, is losing yourself in this world that you have created. So is there really anything you do to um, prepare yourself mentally or get in that headspace, any kind of rituals or anything? Or I, don't, I can't think of anything about rituals I used to get into a headspace. I just, uh, hmm. I don't really... I'm at, I don't really understand the question, to be honest. Uh, I don't really have any special rituals. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Anything. Okay. Okay. Um, well, can you? And, and you're also a prolific short story author. You've written two collections that are currently on Amazon. Um, and so, could you tell us some of the difference, the differences in your experience between writing a short story and writing a full novel? I think a short story, I can do more of the planning mentally in the mentally like I can do it all in my head whereas in a novel I have to uh, basically write down little bullet points of what I want to happen and maybe come up with a general arc. Mm -hmm. I think novels require more planning basically. Right. Okay and so um, since you know since you live on the spectrum your education was a little bit different than a lot of people's in that you, you, you did different kinds of specialized things but could you tell me when you first found you were interested in writing and when you were first interested in drawing and then some of the things you did as you were growing up educationally to um, become more proficient at both? Well, I definitely took a few classes when I was younger, but I think my interest in drawing was I've been drawing since I was five years old. But over, t I think I got really serious about it like when I was getting out of high school, like I was age 18 and 
that's when I started really investing in it and trying to get better than I was currently and well than I was at the time and um, I think I've come a long way in my drawings due to practice to constant practice and study since that beginning. I'm curious on what your your mediums are um, when you do uh, do your illustrations. Uh, how do you how what's your process like? Well, it depends. Usually, what I do is draw the line art or the the, the lines on paper with a pencil, and then I scan it in, and then I ink it, and then color it on the computer using a program called Clip Studio Paint. It's also called Manga Studio, and it's basically it's, it's a specialized art program. It's not like Photoshop, which is more general photo, picture editing. It's specialized for art. And I, I really like that program. And I find, I, it's for instance, I'll notice the lines you draw on, on uh, Clip Studio Paint a lot crisper than Photoshop, which is why I prefer it to Photoshop in general. I mean, Photoshop is more general editing, like I said. Another thing I wanted to talk about, I guess the two of you can talk about since you designed the cover together. Um, is the book cover. Now, it's highly unusual for an author, especially a fiction author, to illustrate their own cover, but that's what you did. And then, of course, you worked with Alexa on the, on the cover design. Um, and I guess this question is actually for both of you together. <laughs> um, what, were, what were some of the themes you wanted to capture in the cover design? And um, you know, and then how did you go about selecting the piece of art that you used to illustrate the cover, Brandon? Well, basically what I did was pick out the, the three most important characters, which are Edoaret, her brother Beck, and then the third guy, which is actually a Greek guy called Philos, mm -hmm. who comes along on their quest. And uh, those were the kind of the three characters I really wanted there to be on there. And then I picked the background of the city of Perpehu, which is the colony. And I wanted that to be in the background. You, in Basically, I just wanted to show what the basic, who the characters were, what the setting was. And that's, that's the, that was the most important for me. And then, and then um, um, Alexa, what, what was, what went into designing the cover? Yeah, so Brandon basically, like he said, he sent me all the separate elements, uh, the different characters that he wanted to emphasize on the front. And um, I, uh, you know, with such beautiful golden tones, I wanted to kind of throw in a bit of contrast. So um, I made the sky somewhat of a, a purplish color. It's also kind of a, it has a mystical feel to it. Also with the uh, Egyptian eye on there as well. So basically I would say I just arranged the, the pieces that Brandon had sent me and designed the hieroglyphs and et cetera. And just kind of uh, really made all those merge together well. And um, I, I really enjoyed collaborating. We Yes, I did too. Other. I think you did a great job merging those elements together, as you said. Well, thank you. Yeah. And that's also why I um, mentioned pretty early on that your illustrations are so crisp because, you know, I got to see them all up close. You sent me just it's such a large file. And yeah, it was, it was really fun. A lot of fun to work with. It's probably one of the more fun covers that I've designed. So um, it was, it was a blast. <laughs> and on the back as well, um, it was cool because Brandon included the antagonist. So I love that. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's always courageous to include an antagonist on like a cover. Mm -hmm. <laughs> <laughs> um, 
And you know what the protagonists are dealing with early on. You know? Right, right. Yeah. That's Scott Silax right yeah. off. I mean, he's in chapter one. Exactly. So, so that actually would bring me to a question that I did have because I like to emphasize that writing a compelling antagonist is just as important as writing your protagonist. So um, I didn't know if there were any tyrants um, in times past, you know, considering your, you, how much history you know. Um, any tyrants that came to mind when you were writing Silax? Um well, we'll just say this guy, the, the, one of the tyrants that came to mind when I was designing him was one that was in politics relatively recently. That's all I'll say because I don't want to get into a big political debate right now. I got you. <laughs> got we'll it. leave it at that. <laughs> and, here, and here I was thinking of one of the Xerxes or one of the ancient Persian too. kings. I was too. So, <laughs> yeah, fair enough, fair enough. <laughs> I suppose that a lot of tyrants are kind of share a lot of common characteristics. So yeah, there's probably a lot of guys can find who are like him. Mm-hmm. Right, right. Um, so, without doing too many spoiler alerts, what were what were one or two of your favorite parts of this book to write? I guess it was probably creating the world. I mean, it's while it's set and kind of based on the real world, there's also a lot of inventing, a lot of blanks you have to fill in because there's not everything is documented. There's also creating certain cultures. Like there's one culture that features in the novel that is neither Greek nor Egyptian, but it's kind of a, a group of people called the Pelagians who were mm-hmm. kind of, the Greeks claimed were living in Greece before the Greeks themselves came from further east. And, and um, they were an interesting culture because I, to design like they're basically a bunch of hunter gatherers who have blue who are dark skinned like more like the egyptians and other africans but they also have bright blue eyes and mm-hmm. and they're kind of inspired by finding of a person called cheddar man in britain who was who lived about nine thousand years ago he was genetic analysis revealed that he had a combination of dark skin and blue eyes which you don't really find that often in the real oh. world nowadays and that's a that was a big part of the inspiration for the Pelagians, but I also, they also have a tendency, the Pelagians in my book also have a tendency to put together monumental structures of a belt of megaliths, and that was inspired by Stonehenge and other megalithic, neolithic monuments in in Europe in our time period. Uh, So that was an interesting culture to design. Uh, It was definitely a fun culture to design, to make up um, different elements of the real world together. Yeah, well, what I found really interesting about how you structured your world um, is that you worked on the, mar- like you said, you worked on the margins of what we know historically. I mean, you you know, there's many, I mean, there's many time other time periods you could have chosen that would have made this book a lot easier to write as far as research goes. For instance, ancient Egypt, you could have gone to 3000 BC. Ancient mm-hmm. Greece, you could have gone to 600 BC. Um, but you chose this in-between time of what... 1000 to 1500 BC were really not a lot has really been chronicled about the interactions of the mm-hmm. Greeks and the Egyptians for one thing i learned i learned from working with you that there were Egyptian colonies in what is now Greece. I didn't know that. Uh, that's that. That's not actually what actually happened. That's the alternate history aspect of it. That's okay. That, I mean, the legends claim that, but uh, there's no. I don't think there's any actual archaeological evidence for that actually happening. That's just uh, me taking those legends and then building an alternate history based on it. Well, legends always begin with at least a, a modicum of truth. So sometimes, sometimes. Yeah. But my my point my point I guess was you you did a really ingenious job of of world crafting, world making because you worked on these margins. You worked with legends. You worked with 
what could have happened historically you weren't you know but but it it, it all it, it added up to a really unique world because nobody's that i know of has quite written about this time period and in, in, and with these cast of characters mm-hmm. the way you have so that was a really good job but i guess what my question to you is did you want and, and just like with the next book you're currently working on women of the plains from 100,000 bc were do you do you prefer um do you prefer to speculate on what the history might be when you're creating a world or do you or do you like knowing what the facts and figures are I guess I prefer the speculation angle. It's more fun. Uh-huh. You get to make up more. I mean, I do think that you need to know some things about the some of what we do know, but I also like filling in the gaps with my own imagination. I mean, I mean, I actually find that if there are a lot of facts you know about, a, you have to know about a world, it can be kind of overwhelming. Whereas if there's more blank spots, you it's less overwhelming. You get to fill in more more with your own imagination. Like I said. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you kind of have more room to play. It's not so constrained when you're writing right. these characters and what unfolds throughout. So, yes, yeah. And Wordworth, Wordworth, Brandon Pilcher, the author of Priestess of the Lost Colony, which came out um, April 27th through mm-hmm. Open Books Press out of St. Louis. And Priestess is available through bookstores nationwide. Mm-hmm. It's also available on Amazon.com and it's on OpenBooksPress.com as yes. well, the, the website. Um, so, um, so Brandon. Um, when you were writing this book, did, um, I mean, I remember when, in working with you, I mean, we, we really, you know, there were a lot of times where you just had to, you just had to take a step back and figure out what you're going to do next, which always happens when you're writing a novel. Um, so what, um, what did you find were the biggest challenges to you in, in that process of, you know, just trying to build it into a full length novel. I guess it was, I had to re re rebuild, re, re, uh, re-energize my stamina. That was one, I guess you get exhausted after and burnt out when you're writing something this big, I guess. And also not uh, sometimes it, when you kind of blanks in your outline, you have to know where you have to go next. And Sometimes you're. Sometimes there's always that self-doubt, the worries that what you're going to what you end up writing is not going to be good enough. I mean, I imagine that's going to be the case with any kind of big project. Mm-hmm. And I and I noticed in your characterization in the book, um, besides our our main people, you also had a shamaness. You had a a couple of fantastical beasts, mm-hmm. I would say. Um, you you know you had the bad guy Silax. You had a couple of well, you had a couple of, uh, I would say, weak-kneed politicians. Alexandros would right. be one of them. Um, on and on, you just have this wide variety of characters. So, when when you're, what are some of the things that you have to consider as the author when you're working with such diverse characters in the same story? Well, you basically have to play. You figure out how they play against one another, in. Mm-hmm. That's, I mean, if you're writing a big cast with a lot of different characters, you probably have to consider how they would play off against one another when you Mm -hmm. meet, when they meet. Okay. All right. That's true. And when writing dialogue or anything, um, do you kind of put yourself into the perspective of the character to kind of see how those those would interact, I guess? I I guess the big challenge is not really that. It's figuring mm-hmm. out how to make it sound good, considering it's a different time period. And that's true, yeah. And because cool. you don't you don't you can't have them speaking the way we do today. 
Yeah. But, but likewise, but likewise, you have to know the. But you like you. But of course, you do have to consider their motivation and what what <laughs> what they want and what they're after. Yeah, and have to yeah focus on making it authentic, so yeah. to speak. Yeah, and that's one of the things about writing authentic when you're talking about writing old times. You have mm-hmm. to find a form of English that isn't like all wooden and <laughs> archaic and and formal like Shakespeare. That wouldn't yeah. work. And, and and yet, like he said, you can't you can't sit here and use words like woke and cancel and all this other stuff we mm-hmm. use now, um, because it's not that time period. Yeah, you can't use um, a, the slang. Yeah, so much. but it's what I what, so well, I guess I guess what we're driving at here is you found a nice little common mm-hmm. common uh, middle on this where where you just had them speak normal English with a little bit a little bit of formality at times, but nothing nothing fancy, and and you didn't use a lot of <laughs> uh, you didn't lose use current slang, which was great. So, yeah. yeah. Um, but uh, I guess, so did that take you a while to figure out or did you just, did it just come to you? Or were you just listening to your characters? I just, it just came to me, I guess. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, this is a, a different example, I guess I'm bringing up, but um, I don't know if you've ever seen the show Spartacus, uh, the, the guy who did the screenplay for it and everything. He uh, had to really take that into consideration and focus on that, on how they, would have possibly spoke, but you know, like you said, keeping you know about keeping it authentic, um, you know, formal, but not you throwing any slang or anything like that in there. Right. So that would probably be quite a bit of a challenge here. So, well, I was going to ask, um, did you study any war strategy or, uh, strategies or anything that have occurred in real life to kind of apply them to the book and make the battle sequences or anything like that? Well, I I have looked a few things up in military strategy. I also play these games called a. Uh, Total War, which are basically historical battle simulator games. Uh, that's a franchise I've, I've been subscribing to for a few years. And uh, I find it does kind of help plan out battles like that. I would say so. Um, and then, um, so as you go forward in your career, are you going to write more novels or more short stories or both? Probably both. I uh-huh. mean, I don't think I'll, I think I will probably jump between them i mean actually when with right now with my novel with my current novel woman of the plains i'm kind of focusing on that i don't really want to get distracted by a side project Mm. when it comes to writing but i mean i might take a break from it to write a short story if one comes to me but right now i'm I'm mostly focusing on a woman in the plains when it comes to writing okay all right um and then of course i just want to remind our our viewers and our listeners that um, once society opens up a little more, Brandon's mm-hmm. going to be doing some book signings at various locations. Um, he is based in Southern California, mm-hmm. so he'll be mostly there. However, we are planning to have Brandon back a couple of times during the summer for special Zoom signings. So yes, virtual, absolutely. so virtual signings where Brandon talks about the mm-hmm. book, reads reads from it, and then and then um, you know people can people who come to the can order on, mm-hmm. on we'll give the ordering information and they can order online since that's kind of the way it's going right now where post pandemic authors will have to yeah. both do zoom stuff and mm-hmm. do live stuff simultaneously which is yes. a great way to reach mm-hmm. your audience it really is yeah yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. so um um <clears throat> so how did you celebrate completing this book and getting it published well i guess i well, one t- we uh, remember the time we went to islands together and had lunch. That's one way I celebrate. That's one thing I way I remember celebrating. 
So you could just talk a little bit about your fascination with ancient history, and in particular uh, ancient Egypt and the prelude to ancient Greece. You could kind of just talk about how you started getting into that, where your fascination came from. Yeah, did that start when that. you were, did that start when you were mm -hmm. a kid? Is it more recent? It started when I was a kid, like in second grade when I was a kid, and it kind of over time expanded to other African cultures as well as other cultures of the ancient world. Mm -hmm. Yeah, because it's I, I mean, it's just interesting how like I mean I was a history buff when I was a kid too, um, not to the extent you are with this that's for mm -hmm. sure, but um, it's it's neat how something that you've been into for over twenty years you know you've been able to turn into a book, mm -hmm. um, yes. and and obviously you're going to go to the ancient history thing with your your next book as well. Um, let's see. So so what are your um, what are some of your plans with this book? Are you gonna, are you gonna be, are you looking at doing some things where you do um, uh, art signings and different showings of your illustrations, and then bring a book along with you as well as doing author mm -hmm. signings? Yes, that's one thing I would like to do. Yeah, because I can, I can imagine something like the Comic Cons would oh, be would, all over this. Absolutely. Even if not San Diego, some of the other mm -hmm. regional ones, they would be all over this. I know that. I know that there's an author I know named Claudette Marco who wrote a number of really good uh, uh, YA books years ago mm. with a female protagonist. And she, I mean, she did really well selling in Comic-Cons mm -hmm. around the country. Yeah, I would imagine. Yeah. So that's a, that's a really good possibility, too. Well, I was thinking uh, I would kind of direct it back to the book a little bit because yeah. I'm still curious. Because, um, you know, of course, ancient people did believe in the supernatural and deities because I guess they had no uh, other means of explaining Right. that they couldn't understand. So I was kind of curious on um, how you may, you making the mytho mythological aspects, um, you know, real within the book um, kind of helped move the story along rather than it just remaining, you know, strictly myth. You know, you, you actually brought these, these uh, uh, entities into your book. I guess it's, it helped spice up the story a bit. Yeah. I mean, rather than just I having heard. it be, a, if it were just a, uh, realistic it'd be basically a big drama and i generally find period dramas kind of boring actually mm -hmm. well with exceptions but i i kind of prefer a little fantasy element mm -hmm. of little this a little element a little extra element to make it more awesome more fans fanciful i guess mm -hmm. Kind of make it on a more epic scale, I suppose. Yeah, and, I agree and that you. I think I and that add, that that contributed a lot to his twists and turns. Exactly. Um, and I and I was really fascinated with your twists and turns because I was, at first, I was trying to figure out how someone who hasn't written a novel before had did so well with these twists and turns and these these switches of directions. And then I realized, well, you're a short story writer. You have to do that. That's what short story yeah. writers do. You so. can't really write a short story without something to make spice it up, to make it really, to grab the reader and make it really interesting. Yeah. Exactly. But that's what I love about your book. I mean, there's so many twists and turns that you, you don't have, you don't even, you don't, even if, even if the text itself um, was ordinary, you don't have time to get bored. I mean, because you're, mm -hmm. as soon as you read a few pages, you got something else going on in there. Um, is that, do you do you prefer like writing adventure in that way where you're twisting and turning it or do you prefer um in some of your other stories maybe you know getting deeper into a subject do you do you like do you like pacing with those twists and turns i guess i i guess i do it also helps mm -hmm. lengthen the content rather than just focusing on one thing mm -hmm. yeah 
And what if some of I, and I know you've I know you've sent this around to some readers. Um, so what did they what have they said to you about the story itself? The ones that you've talked to. Well, I think a lot of them really like the world and 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 some of the characters. Although yeah. I kind of think I did get one review that said it was kind of too short for his liking. But you know you can't make everyone happy. I guess. Yeah. Well. Well. What I think is amazing is the book is fairly short. It's. Um, it's it's fairly short. However, it's got so much in it that it feels mm -hmm. like a full. I mean, it feels full. That's why it's it a does. complete novel to me because it feels like a full novel. I mean, it's rich with content. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, you know, and someone. I mean, seriously, someone could write a hundred thousand words and not even come close to how <laughs> yeah. what what all the stuff that you have in here. So you know, I guess I just like I guess I just like serving things with. The meat with the with the meat, rather than yeah. just adding a lot of extra filling that doesn't add anything. I guess that's my style. Yeah. So tell us about um, a couple of the you know a couple of places where you've exhibited your art in the past. Well, there was one time when I was about in 2013 when I was working with a group of people called Raw Artists. Uh, they let they gave me a venue where I could exhibit some of my art. But to be honest, I still have the pictures framed up. But to be honest, I don't really I'm kind of ashamed of them because my art style has evolved a lot in the past few years. So that I'm not really proud of any of the art that I created for that particular presentation like uh, seven years ago or so. But uh, I, I would like to exhibit more of my later pieces right now. OK, well, but anyways, this it's a fabulous backdrop you have. I'll say that, mm -hmm. it, you know, it's just with all the, the main characters and everything, it's um, yeah, that's that's yeah, really nice. Yeah, it does nice. showcase how vivid and uh, yeah. the artwork is. Yeah, I should probably duck my head so you can get a better view of the main heroine, Itararit. Oh, there yeah. she is. <laughs> she's kind of in the. She's uh, she's that go. would be her right there. Uh, she's <laughs> she's in the middle of the composition, which is why you couldn't really see her for most of our presentation because uh, my head was blocking her. But now you can see her. Yeah, she's a very striking character too, in general. One that I found very intriguing. Uh, definitely yeah. not one you want to mess with, I would say. <laughs> yeah, like uh, she can she can kick butt with that scepter of hers. That's so. one thing I will bring up. Mm -hmm. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, she, she's not as much yeah. of an action heroine as some of the heroines from my short stories, but true. she's she but she's not a she's not weak. That's one thing I'll say. Fine. She's not weak. So what I'd like to say, what I'd like to say before we ask Brandon final questions mm -hmm. is. Um, Brandon will will be having a live for our for our Southern California readers and listeners. Um, Brandon's going to be having a launch signing, a live signing in September uh -huh. in at the Wildwood Restaurant in Vista. And this is going to be great because the guys that own Wildwood Restaurant are all film documentarians. So what they do is they they'll put they put they put the author on stage. Then they do then the chef has has the author go through mm -hmm. food choices of that time period and mm -hmm. culture and they and they're going to create hors d'oeuvres and that's what people eat when they come in besides the, the full menu that's available and then on top of that um, it'll be facebook and instagram streamed mm -hmm. because he's of all these documentarians that own the restaurant it's going to be an incredible uh event and it's in vista california which is right next door to brandon's hometown of fallbrook california oh, um so that's coming up in september and we'll keep everybody we'll keep everybody uh, uh informed through front page pass and through some of our other um our some, some of our other media channels mm -hmm. um so brandon in closing um what's some of the 
I mean, you know, you're a writer, you're an illustrator, you're a supremely talented guy, and you're also working hard at your craft. What gives you the most satisfaction um, when you work? I mean, what, what just makes you really happy about the things you do? Uh, I guess it's just the really love what I'm doing. It's just really loving the subjects that are inspiring me to create this. Mm-hmm. And also the hope that somewhat that someone will look at my stuff or either my writing or my strong and be touched by it or impacted by it mm-hmm. in some way that it will that they will connect to it somehow. I think every mm-hmm. writer and writer and artist artist feels that way mm-hmm. to one extent or another. Wonderful. I've really enjoyed the chat. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. And uh, um yeah, it's I mean it's been wonderful talking with you. And once again, Priestess of the Lost Colony mm-hmm. is now available through bookstores around the country and also on online bookstores including Amazon and openbookspress.com. Openbookspress is the publisher of the yes. book. And um, and we've been chatting with Brandon Pilcher, who, um, like I said at the outset of this, um, two and a half years ago, he we met with with he had a chapter and an idea, uh-huh. and it's turned into this book. And it's been a labor of love at mm-hmm. times, a pretty hard labor of love, but we, we got through it. Mm-hmm. But it's nice and, to see the evolution of it and how yeah. it's, he's completely blossomed as a as yeah. a writer. Yeah, so. and and um, so I guess my final question for you is what are a couple of what are a couple of takeaways from the book that you feel um you know that 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 you feel will be memorable to readers or you feel that will make readers more appreciative of that time period i guess it's um learning how different cultures interacted and got along and also how they should be getting along and and even which is not always how they do get along that's one takeaway, and also there's uh, there's a lot of messages in the book that I don't really want to spoil them for you, okay? Be too much, but I like to say there are a lot of thoughts I rec- a lot I did pour myself a lot into the into into the text, so uh, I hope the readers will learn a lot from it as they're reading. I feel they will. Okay. Certainly. All right. Okay, Brandon. Well, thank you so much for our. Um, Thank you so much for taking the time to talk with us, and um, we will we will talk to you soon. Thank you. Yeah, it was okay. great speaking with you. All right, thank mm-hmm. you. Thank you. Bye bye.